my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Got right it, in. brother. All right. <clears throat> well, thank you so much, Andy, for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Joe, thanks for having me, buddy. I, I'm really thrilled to be here. I was uh, very happy to uh, get the invite and been looking forward to it. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I'm, uh, I, we should have done this a long time ago. We've known each other for a while now, and I'm glad we finally got the opportunity here. Um, the first, I, I just wanted to uh, kind of lead in with this story because I think it's funny. The first time I was introduced to you was your dad after he had watched my YouTube video about the carnivore diet. And so I just thought that was kind of funny. I was curious if he was, uh, if he's still doing that or, uh, or, or had uh, kept the weight he off. He kept the weight off. I think, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that he could literally, uh, eat a, a, a chicken leg for, for breakfast, for lunch and for dinner and, and a steak <laughs> for a snack. So the carnivore diet wasn't a problem for him, but I, I think that was kind of a fad for him. I think he was more, more impressed with, uh, your transformation, your story, the way you communicated it, and the fact that he reached out to you and re you responded in a in a in a world that is so impersonal. I think he was uh, he was really uh, impressed by that. And and you know something that's been one of the keys to my success too is is 
you know, we're not your traditional um, company that is online and impersonal. We've for 33 years have been all about relationships. And when you're watching someone on YouTube, you're impressed with their presentation and their story and they reply to you. I think he was really taken back by that. So that's that's how he I kind of, I think, uh, looked at it and and uh, had me reach out to you at the same time. And I will be happy to admit that you actually got back to me, too. So, you know, kudos <laughs> to you for that. No, that's great. I was uh, I was glad to uh, to meet you and get introduced to you. Uh, your business, uh, like you mentioned, when I first heard, um, you know, before we kind of get into the topic of today, I, I just it's so impressive when I first heard that uh, with how long you guys have been doing business and uh, the lack of customer complaints. It's just unheard of. Today. I appreciate that. Yeah, we started on a wing and a prayer 33 years ago. My father's middle name is Miles and his best friend uh, who lent us $60,000 in 1989, his middle name was Franklin. And uh, in a one room office, the most unlikely cast of characters to uh, to succeed. And we did. Uh, we recently eclipsed $8 billion in sales. We have never had a material customer mm-hmm. complaint. We are one of only 27 U.S. Mint authorized resellers in the world, an honor we're very, very proud of. Uh, And even though I moved to Florida a year and a half ago where I have had a satellite office for about 11 years, we left our corporate entity in the state of Minnesota. It's the only state in America that regulates what is a federally non-regulated industry. So we're very proud of our reputation of our U.S. Mint accreditation, but the state of Minnesota doesn't care. And we have to be licensed, we have to be bonded, and we have to be background checked. And every single year, as a result, the majority of the companies in America won't do business in the state of Minnesota because of this. We mm-hmm. embrace it. It holds us to a higher standard. So, yeah, it's it's been a great run. And uh, I look back and pinch myself that that I am where I am uh, starting from literally nothing as a 19 year old kid. And here we are. Yeah, that's, uh, I I love that story and, uh, getting into kind of what is going on today in the business. I mean, this is kind of a crazy time. So, uh, just for, uh, for some context within the last couple of weeks, obviously right now, like banks are collapsing, uh, bailouts are happening for depositors. Before that, we saw there was one of the, in, in my opinion, one of the largest scandals in the, uh, you know, the golden and silver industry in, uh, a very long time with, uh, with the purse mint diluting their gold. Um, and, uh, a few years ago, this was, I don't, I think it was 2015 or so. Um, China had been, uh, China had been shipping out. I, I think it was tungsten, uh, uh, that was, uh, that had gold leaf on it as gold bars. So this is an industry that right now is kind of, uh, kind of choppy. It's been hit with scandals, but also people are piling in because, it's not somebody else's liability as long as it's actually real gold. So what, what's what's going on right now? Tell us about the give us the inside scoop. Yeah, well, I mean, the industry, just like anything, just like a relationship, it's a foundation of trust. And if you betray that trust, even in the case of the Perth men, and I, I would argue that, you know, they kind of got the raw end on this one. Uh, they've been beaten up a lot over the last couple of years for various reasons. But in this case, the bars never did uh, drop below four nine fine pure, but they did have too much silver in them uh, for the Shanghai Exchange standards. But I think it, it it fits part and parcel with 
this industry and this industry certainly has had somewhat of a checkered past. There's been in the last uh, six or seven years, there was, you know, north of $200 million stolen by companies, uh, always the online cheap companies who end up stealing money. It was Tolving, it was Bullion Direct, it was Northwest Territorial Mint, big, big companies amongst others that kind of put a stain on this industry. I, I, I think it's a shame and it's a stigma that we've had to fight for a very long time because when I, look, when I started in this industry as a, basically a 20-year-old kid, it was, there was one rule my dad said to me and one rule only. He said, you know, I said, I can deal with that starting a company. What's that rule, dad? He says, you need to buy something every two weeks. I said, okay, if that's the only rule, I'm down with that. And for 33 years, every two weeks, I have purchased something. I have never missed a two-week period. I've honored my promise to my father, even though I own the company and have for two decades. He won't fire me anymore, but I made that promise and I've kept it. And it's mm-hmm. the best gift, the best gift he's ever given me. The, the ability to save and to pay myself first. And when I look at gold and silver, it means so much to me. It's not an investment. It's wealth, wealth that I hope I never need to use. Um, and if, mm-hmm. if so, I'm darn glad I have it. If not, I give it to my kids. And so when we have to continually see these negative stories about fraud or about, in this case, uh, they called it doping of gold or whatnot, yeah, it's, it, it's bothersome. I do think it's the, these, these are few and far between. But uh, I think gold and silver are so very, very, very important. And oftentimes the only media coverage we hear of is of negative stories or a negative connotation. And I wish it weren't that way because I think it really is very important nowadays uh, to, to look at gold. And as you mentioned, it is one of the only assets that is not someone else's liability, simultaneously anyway, someone else's liability. And, and I think in a world of counterparty risk, uh, a world of contagion. Uh, it's never been more important to look at gold and silver, I think, for the qualities that they they uh, exude and, and in particular, the, the lack of or the complete uh, dismissal of, of counterparty risk. Well, so, OK, so a couple of questions about all that. Number one, when you say buy something every two weeks, that's personal. That what That's not the, the business. Correct. Right? That that's, was just his way of saying to me, okay. you know, we come from nothing, Joe. My parents sold their life insurance policies and borrowed sixty thousand dollars from from the guy who uh, who helped. That's Franklin, the Franklin and Miles Franklin. And he said, you're not going to make the same mistakes that I made. If nothing, you will learn how to save. And it truly was the best gift that he's ever given me, the ability to pay myself first, the understanding that if you don't, you wake up one day and you're 52 years old like I am and wonder where the hell did all the time go. And if you Hmm. don't pay yourself first, if you don't find a way to get off that wheel, you never will, will. And Everyone who I've ever hired, ironically, one of the things that's neat about our company is we, all the people who work for me go back literally to childhood. And there's 12 or 13 of us that I've been friends with since elementary school, little league, junior high school, high school and college. And um, I, that's one of the requisites. You're going to come work for me. You're going to buy something for yourself every two weeks. And they all have thanked me up and down because it's really easy to not save and to not pay yourself first. And one of the neat things about gold and silver is that it takes a, a little bit of a, a modicum of effort to, to liquidate it, to sell it. And 
having it put away um, often is one of the best ways to preserve your funds because it just disappears and you forget about it. And um, I don't know, this systematic accrual every two weeks honestly has has been a godsend to me and my family. And someday it'll be my kids. And, and I think that if I can impress that upon anyone, I will tell you it, it is one of the keys to my peace of mind. I, I think you're touching on something that is really widely misunderstood uh, and is the reason why so many people stay poor because a lot of people, uh, you know, people that I've known, uh, you know, it, the, the, the data backs us up as well. People will try and implement good financial habits. One of them, usually the first one, if it's not getting out of debt, it's going to be trying to save. Um, and just as a, you know, an extreme example, you look back at the last three years, let's say three years ago, somebody put 10 grand in a bank account to save it for a rainy day. And let's say back then that would have been able to last them two or three months for their expenses. Today, that will only last them, you know, maybe one to two months because expenses have gone up. And so for the last hundred years, uh, our monetary system has uh, turned saving into losing. Um, and so I really like that you're using the same language, but you're talking about gold and silver which is different than saving in fiat currency, which loses its purchasing power. Yeah, I mean, I saw a great, a, great, a great statement. They said, what if Elon Musk got up on a stage and said a goal of, of Tesla is to lose 2% per year? Well, you know, that's what the Fed says the <laughs> mandate is. And, you know, you can see they're having a hard time doing that. But, you know, if you're losing 2% per year using the rule of 70 seconds every 36 years, your currency is halved. And so, you know, if you go back mm -hmm. and look at the GI uh, life insurance bill after World War II, it was $10,000. When my father graduated high school, in, I mean college, in 1963, his, his goal was to have a job that paid him $10,000 a year. A brand new Corvette in 1974 or 5 was about $6,000. So when you talk about the value, the precipitous decline, the insidious decline of of dollar bills. It's interesting. You know, one of the things that people complain about gold is that it doesn't pay a coupon. Well, first and foremost, in a, in, in a negative interest rate environment that we see right now, it sure beats the heck out of, you know, negative 3% compounding yeah. on a 10 year treasury when factored against uh, inflation. Yeah. I'll, I'll take gold paying no interest any day, but you, know, you can go back to 1960. And I often, I use this example before where the average price of a house in 1960 was $17,000 and gold was priced at 39 bucks an ounce. And if you, you do the math, that works out to like 435 ounces, something in that neighborhood. I'm not doing the math here right now. Uh, and, you know, so if you had 435 gold Krugerrands, in fact, let me just do it to make it sure. The Census Bureau told us a house was almost exactly um, uh, $17,000. Yeah, it's 435 ounces. So if you had 435 Krugerrands in 1960 and said, should we pay for our house, you say to your wife, with the gold that we were left by uh, Grandpa Irv, and, and uh, you decide, no, you know what, let's stick it under our mattress instead, and where it earns nothing but dust uh, for the last uh, 62 years. Well, the average price of a house right now is uh, let's call it four hundred thousand dollars, and gold is eighteen nineteen hundred dollars. So those four hundred and thirty-five ounces right now, who have, which is are nothing but dust, carried no interest whatsoever, 
is now worth $826,000. It buys you two houses, whereas the $16,000 doesn't even, or $17,000 that it was worth back then doesn't even buy you, uh, you know, the, the furnishings in your house, a couple of couches and a TV, and you're already past 17 grand. The point of it is, is that gold is the barometer by which the value of the, the currency is measured. It's not gold that has gone up. It's the value of the currency that has gone down. And and it happens very slowly uh, with inflation, little by little by little. And of course, you could argue we are on a path right now to much greater inflation where uh, prices are going to start to increase much, much more. But the idea is, even if you go back to you know, you go back to, to 1933. If your grandfather had two boxes, one box had $20 bills in it, $20 uh, Federal Reserve notes, and the other box had $20 gold pieces, which are basically an ounce of gold. $10,000 left for, for, you know, you in two boxes. That $10,000 is worth squat, but the $10,000 or 500 ounces of gold is worth $1 million, basically. The point I'm getting at is that it is the value of the paper fiat currency backed by nothing that continues to lose value. And while gold won't make you wealthy, it is wealth. And if you own enough of it, you will be wealthy. But it is something that I think is a lesson that people need to understand. You do not buy gold and silver to become wealthy. It is wealth. And it is wealth that has outlived two world wars, the German hyperinflation, the Great Depression, every pandemic, everything the world has ever thrown at it. And it is the only asset that ever every central bank on the planet owns, which, by the way, in 2022, they accumulated more of it, the second most in history and more than any time since 1967 when the dollar was backed by gold. The big money the elite, the central banks, they understand what gold truly is. And uh, it's not an investment, as we are told, taught to believe. It, it, to me, is wealth. And that's why I own it. Wealth that I hope I never need to use if I do, not just for an emergency. could be an opportunity when the dust settles, when interest rates rise and asset prices fall in terms of finding equilibrium with the rising interest rates. There will be values. There will be amazing opportunities to take advantage of. And to me, that's what gold and silver are, wealth that will be there when you need it for an opportunity, an emergency, or if not, passing on to my children and grandchildren long after the bills in my wallet are hanging from a frame in the Smithsonian as an example of what was, gold and silver will still be immutable wealth. And that, honest to God, is the reason I own it and how I look at it and how I try to educate my clients and the people I talk to on these types of podcasts as to what it means to My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com customer to claim your credit. 
That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Me. That's that's fantastic. A couple of things that you mentioned that I want to kind of circle back to. The first thing you mentioned was uh, the price of housing uh, when you look at it through the lens of gold. And, um, you know, part of if we look at, you know, 1960 is, you know, obviously during that time, the price of gold was heavily suppressed because it was pegged to the dollar. And fast forward a few years and you realize the real market value of gold, you know, pops into existence. Uh, But even if you start the data from that point, once the price of gold has popped and look forward right now, the, the, the ratio of 
the average single family home compared to gold um, is very stable throughout time. And if, uh, in fact, what happens is it goes down slightly, um, meaning that uh, you can purchase, it takes less gold to purchase the same house. But in addition to that, and this is never because you can't do this uh, data, you can't factor this in, you know, on a large scale. I mean, maybe you could look at square feet and things like that. But the house, the single family house today that is being measured in this data is by very many measures way better than the single family houses from 1960, 1970. I mean, go over to your grandma's house that was built in 1950, 1940, 1960, and then look at the average single family home today. There's no comparison when you look at the square footage, when you look at the amenities, when you look at the technology, uh, the the resistance to weather, the uh, uh, you know the what what's the word the when the temperature can't come in and out. What's um, insulation? Uh, <laughs> the, the insulation. Um, Insulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, from all measures, it's like even if that gold only will purchase you still one single family house, just like it would have 60 years ago, it's a way better house today than it used to be. So when you look at what, what, what you're seeing is deflation through progress that over time, when you save your money in real money and sound money in wealth, then what you're doing is you're you're preserving your purchasing power and slowly over time you're gaining a little bit. And then you don't have to be worried about like the negative interest rates. You don't have to be worried about the next big thing. You don't have to be worried about the bubble because you know that long term you're, preser you're per preserving your purchasing power. And when stuff goes on sale, if you want to, you can buy it then. And you don't have to worry about your dollars <laughs> in the uh, in Silicon Valley Bank and whether or not the government's going to going to bail you out. That's exactly that's exactly it. And I think I mean, you, you said a lot there and I completely and totally I totally agree. I mean, when you have enough gold and silver, you don't care what happens in the banking system to a degree. I mean, you do, but you you don't you have a, uh, you, you have a little bit of detachment from from the system and in a world of declining privacy and, and inflation and um, you know brain dead monetary policy I think it's never been more important to to own it and I think this is why you are seeing <clears throat> the COMEX market being bled dry why you're seeing the London Metals Exchange being bled dry why you are seeing the central banks go on a buying binge and and you know it's important to understand that when we talk about metal being taken off the COMEX I'd like to just touch about that for one second we're seeing record amounts of deliveries over the last three years. In fact, a whole new group of traders emerged on the Commitment of Traders report, which forever just showed the positioning of the commercial banks on one end and the specs or the hedge funds on the other. In 2020, they put a third group of reportables that I'd never seen before called the Others. And, and the Others, and this is a report, by the way, the COT report that is published each week by the, by the Commodity Exchange, the Chicago Commodity Exchange, the, the CME group. And, um, and it talks about the positioning of the largest traders on the exchange. And this group, the Others, in 2020, out of nowhere, started taking massive deliveries. And Delivery is leaving the ecosystem. I'd like to explain what that means for a moment so people can understand that this is a one-way ticket. <clears throat> we did a very large order earlier this year, a $50 million order, and the, the client wanted to have the majority of it in 1,000-ounce bars held 
at our Brinks Salt Lake City facility. Uh, we have a, a wonderful program with Brinks. We have seven vaults around North America. The only one that is a Comex vault is Brinks JFK in New York City. And that's the Comex facility. The rest of the others in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, Miami, Salt Lake City, and Los Angeles are Brinks facilities, but not Comex facilities. And so the gentleman that I secured the thousand ounce bars from is one of the two Royal Canadian Mint distributors, uh, has an amazing deal uh, in Canada, that is, has an amazing deal on thousand ounce silver bars, had them held uh, at JFK. And um, I said to him, listen, you know, I, I know the price for all these thousand ounce bars. They're talking a million ounces of silver. And I said, uh, for that was just for half of the money that she was spending. And I said, you know, um, this this is um, uh, at Brinks JFK. How much will it increase in price to have it moved to Brinks Salt Lake City, where she would prefer to have it stored? And he said, you don't want to do that. She doesn't want to do that. And I said, well, why is that? He says, because it, it will lose Comex chain of custody. I said, but it's going from Brinks JFK to Brinks Salt Lake City by Brinks truck. No one touches it, but Brinks, why would that be the case? Uh, and he said, because, look, once it leaves the Comex ecosystem, even if it stays within the Brinks ecosystem, it would have to be reintroduced and reassayed. And if Elon Musk came up and said, I'll pay $50 premium for every ounce of silver that anyone wants to part with on Comex, they would not be able to take advantage of that in a fashion that would allow it to allow them to react quickly enough. They would have to have it shipped back, reintroduced, reassayed at a big cost and a time lag. And so the point of it is, is that when when this money, which is wholly sophisticated, because pulling metal off of Comex and the LBMA is very difficult, you'd have a much easier time giving me $50 million and buying gold bars and silver bars than trying to take possession off of Comex. But once it leaves, it's lost all industrial liquidity. So whoever is taking possession of the copious amount of gold and silver is doing so in a fashion that is removing industrial liquidity. And I don't think, obviously, they care. Where is it going? Well, India imported 304 million ounces of silver last year. And they um, that's more than the entire Comex ecosystem has, about 288 million, of which only 39 million is in the registered category. Wow. So you're witnessing massive amounts of gold being delivered off of the Comex and the LBMA, and it never happened before. It was never a vehicle that was made for delivery. It was a vehicle that was used to offset risk. Yes, you can take delivery, but it never happened until 2020. And it is a trend that we continue to see draining in a precipitous fashion all of the industrial-sized gold and silver bars. And I would argue using price as a tool of misdirection. And it is what betrays the lack of price appreciation in an environment where it should be screaming higher, but after all, it is the canary in the mine shaft. So the West has incentive to hold the price down while the rest of the world uses that against us and is accumulating massive amounts. Like I said, the most gold accumulated by the central banks uh, uh, second most in history and the most since 1967. They are using suppression of price in order to do that. And one last point, and then I'll defer to you. I asked my head trader the other day because we, we hedge all of our exposure to metals. And I said to him, I said, Ryan, how much does it cost to 
purchase a hundred ounce gold contract. And he said, all we need is $7,000 in our margin account. So uh, seven grand in my margin account controls 190,000 worth of gold. What if I am a central bank or a sovereign wealth fund or a commercial bank with a billion dollars in my margin account? I can create whatever perception of reality I want. And that's exactly what they are doing. They are suppressing the price and gobbling it up. And you're watching a systematic withdrawal uh, that we've never seen before in all of the major exchanges. And I think it's important to understand for those who look at price, I would say it is the greatest tool of misdirection. Instead of look at price, look at what the biggest money in the world is doing and how they are de-dollarizing and they are using price suppression to drain the exchanges. It's a big deal to me. What is going on right now that you've just described and the fact that you brought up 1967? Most people don't realize if you take 1967 and you fast forward four years, you get Nixon closing the gold window. The reason for that is because starting in 66, 67, the world started to realize the, the United States doesn't have the gold they say they do. That was a global bank run on the last trace of a gold backed monetary system. The rest of the world said, hey, look. We're going to go get our money. So they started sending the dollars back to get their gold. That's why there was so much gold purchasing then. And after a couple of years of that accelerating, the United States was about to run out of gold. So Nixon said, we're either going to leave the gold standard in two weeks when we have no gold, or we can leave it today and still have some gold. And so they left it today and maintained some of their gold. So it's very interesting to me that what's been going on since 2020 and is accelerating. I mean, it wasn't just 2020 as an outlier and then it fell off. It was 2022 was the most since 1967, uh, just last year. And moving into this year, when you look at the January and the February data, it is continuing, even like Singapore, record amounts of gold purchasing. And so we're seeing right now the world do something extremely similar to what happened last time. There was a giant transition in the global fiat monetary system. It was a start. It was an end and a start of a new monetary system. So the world loaded up on gold because they knew that was the only asset that was not at the same time, somebody else's liability. And those dollars they were holding were liabilities and central banks are doing the exact same thing today. And what they're getting rid of is instead of dollars this time is treasuries. Because that's the asset that they've been holding. Japan, $1.3 trillion down to $1 trillion. China, $1.3 trillion down to $900 billion. I mean, everybody who's the biggest holders of treasuries is getting out, getting out of the door without sparking a panic. And everybody's loading up on gold instead. And so it's, it's a really eerie um, uh, echo of what happened when, right before you left the gold standard. Yeah, totally. And I'd also like to mention, you know, the LBMA last year had lost 75% of their aluminum stockpile and over 90% of their zinc stockpile. I'd like to read to you something that, according to JP Morgan, a report that just came out, China holds 80% of the global copper inventories. We keep hearing copper's disappearing. 70% of the global corn inventories, 51% of global wheat, 46% of global soybeans, 70% of crude oil inventory, and 20% percent of global aluminum inventories on top of aggressively stockpiling all the gold and silver they can get. These countries are using commodities. Zoltan Pozar, one of the smartest guys I've ever read, used to work for the New York Fed. Now he's the, the repo market guru back then. And now he's the, the money plumbing expert uh, at UBS. And 
you know, he calls what's happened right now Bretton Woods three and uh, a system that will be dominated mm-hmm. by by commodities. And, you know, going back to 71, I often ask people, Joe, what makes the dollar world reserve? And few people know, you know, prior to uh, being completely fiat, when, when Nixon closed the gold window, everyone had dollars. It was the world reserve currency. So in 1974, when the deal, deal was struck with Saudi Arabia and OPEC to denominate oil globally in dollars, everyone had it at dollars. It just made good sense and when you see Saudi Arabia, and, and I've been talking about this for three years now, uh, Saudi Arabia joined the BRICS nations. Saudi Arabia signed a joint military cooperation agreement with Russia, as did Nigeria. Uh, Saudi Arabia in Davos uh, just a few weeks ago saying they're open to taking other currencies for oil. When you look at the Belt Road Initiative, the largest infrastructure project in human history, 150 countries or so upon it, um, connecting Asia, Africa, South, uh, excuse me, Asia, Africa, uh, South America, and parts of Europe. Uh, Every one of the OPEC producing countries are on the Belt Road. You look at the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, many of them are part of that. You look at the BRICS, six or seven of the the OPEC countries are, have applied to or already on the BRICS nations. You know, if we lose that petrol reserve status, which it appears we are getting closer and closer and closer to doing because you put all of those entities together, they they get damn near close to 80% of human population and they're not going green and the West is. So what does Mm -hmm. OPEC need us for? What has given us this extraordinary exorbitant lifestyle and privilege to be the petrodollar, to, to, to have every country on the planet need to buy dollars, stockpile them to buy oil. And if that changes, the one thing that really frightens me the most, and I talk about this a lot, would be a systematic dumping of dollars if OPEC comes out and says, thanks for the memories. We've joined BRICS. We're going to price oil now in the new Shanghai Cooperation Organization's gold settlement currency for the whole Eurasian continent or the new BRICS commodity-backed currency or just the new petro-yuan bond that they've had now for two years that allows countries to sell oil and natural gas to China for a bond denominating yuan, which is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange, or whatever it is, rupee, ruble, gold, you name it, if it's not just dollars and the world dumps dollars all at once because they no longer need to hold it anymore because these countries have coalesced against the Western hegemony and the Western perception or perceived hypocrisy and the sanctions and all of the things that we are doing that just are counterintuitive. If that happens, that's when things get very real. And maybe this is why you're seeing such a drive by all of these countries. Look at Turkey as an example, an ally of ours who has formally applied to BRICS, bought more gold than any country in the world last year. And same thing here in January. In January, they bought another 37 tons, I think it was, uh, uh, more than any Mm. other country in the world in January. These countries are moving away from the West and they're moving away from debt instruments and, and a system that is opaque into one that is transparent based upon commodities and this this coalition of countries uh, is what people should be focused on not what jerome powell and janet yellen will or will not do the rest of the world is growing tired like you said these countries are shedding our bonds of course they are why would they want to hold bonds that are yielding a negative return in a country that has chosen inflation and they just did that again yesterday by bailing out the banks over the tough decisions 
And I think this is a scary mm. time. And I think people, uh, as Rick Rule often says, need to embrace the fact that if you are not at least a little bit of contrarian, you're going to end up being a victim. And this is the time to look at the world a little bit differently. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Hi, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The process that you're describing, I think... I think some people have a hard time with uh, looking at the data, which is all 
verifiably true. And then they think, okay, well, this means everything collapses and the apocalypse starts tomorrow. And then two months go by, nothing changes. And they think, okay, well, that was wrong. I'm just going to, you know, go along living life like I was before. Uh, not realizing how long it takes for these things to unfold sometimes. I mean, we look at the the housing crisis. People were talking about that in 2001, 2002. It took years for that to finally break and people to start to realize, oh, yeah, they were right all along. Even looking at just the inflation from the money printing. Money printing started in 2020, March. It was March of 2021 before the inflation rate, CPI, got back up to 2.5%. It was a year before the inflation, the official inflation rate got back up to what it had been before. And then it spiked. I mean, it takes a long time. These things happen gradually. And then suddenly people, central banks since 67 buying gold and then takes until 71 for the gold standard to finally break. So these things uh, don't necessarily happen overnight. You see the red flags, you see the signs, you see the signposts pointing to the inevitable reality just because of math. And sometimes it takes longer than you'd expect for the the consequences to actually start to unfold. hundred percent. I mean, and you can see it's a chess game. The, the pieces are being moved into place, right? And even you know, the, the reconciliation between Saudi Arabia and, and Iran, who have been a dagger point for decades and, and a, in a China broker deal, they're now reestablishing diplomatic ties and opening up embassies. And the same thing between the Saudis and Egypt. And, you know, I, and so in, in January, the central banks, most of them in the BRICS nations added another 77 tons of gold. That's 192 percent month over month month increase from December. Mm -hmm. And so you are seeing massive, massive amounts of commodities being purchased, relationships being uh, made, and even those that have been centuries old of hatred uh, against the West, because this is their one chance to break free from the Western hegemony. And my enemy's enemy is my friend. And that is what I believe you are beginning to see these countries are have a plan. And the Chinese have always thought in terms of decades, while we think in terms of days or in terms of weeks. But if you really look at the Belt Road Initiative, at the BRICS nations, at the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union, and you read about it for a few days, you'll walk away and say, my God, it, it, it's happening. They are, they not only is it happening, but countries that used to be on our side, like Saudi Arabia, like Turkey, like Mexico, like Egypt, they are either joined or have expressed interest in joining. There's over 60 countries on the docket to join the BRICS, over 150 in the Belt Road. You're talking the majority of human population and it's happening and Mm -hmm. we are squandering the good graces of our foreign creditors with our ridiculous monetary policy and the poor decisions that we're making. And more than that, with the sanctions and the hypocritical decisions that we are making globally, where, you know, um, where five billion dollars is too much to build a border wall to protect uh, five million people entering this country illegally, many of which are pouring, uh, bringing fentanyl in with them, but one hundred and fourteen million dollars uh, to to give to the Ukraine isn't. These are these are ridiculous ridiculous times that we live in, and and yet eighty five percent of the world is still trading with Russia. So I think we're looking at things through a, a polarized lens, and I think we are alienating not just a good portion of the world, but many of these countries that 
that uh, claim to be our allies. So yeah, it isn't going to happen all at once until it does happen all at once. That That's how I think it was Ernest Hemingway. They asked him how he went broke little by little, then all at once. Well, if you look, it's little by little. These relationships are changing. Look at Iraq as an example, a country we, we liberated, so to speak, and, and put trillions of dollars into. And now for the first time, they are taking yuan for settlement outside of uh, the dollar. India trading with, with Russia, taking uh, using rupee for settlement instead of, uh, instead of dollars. All of these countries striking deals unilaterally that are sidestepping and usurping the West little by little by little. And the, 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 the unison or this chorus of countries joining together is becoming extraordinary. So yeah, it, it isn't something that will materialize all at once. And, and the sad part about it is that most people in this country will be completely blindsided by it. And, and that, that's one of the things that I think is, is, is most frightening is, is that, um, you know, most of this is verifiable, but most people have never heard of the Belt Road Initiative. Most people don't know that that the Bank of International Settlements reclassified gold. And, and uh, most people don't understand the these massive um, changes in, uh, you know, the, the, the BRICS nations, what it really means, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, what it really means. And I think people would, would be well served to spend a little time researching that instead of just focusing on on uh, what Jerome Powell will or will not do with monetary policy, because to me, it amounts to a hill of beans, a half a, a half a percent, 50 basis points, 25 basis points. What happens if these countries dump dollars and bonds all at once? Mike Adams calls it Operation Sandman, where you got 150, 200 countries from around the world are all in agreement to, at a certain point, dump dollars once the chess pieces are moved into p- place. And and, and the tsunami of inflation that that would create as all of those dollars, see, there's more dollars all outside the globe because of the Petro standard than there are at home. And if they all get dumped and flood home at once, the byproduct are interest rates that go parabolic and stocks, bonds and real estate are all inversely correlated to that. That is the great reset. Is it the one Klaus Schwab talked about? Don't know. But in an environment where asset prices have been blown sky high over the past uh, 15 years, thanks to, um, you know, low interest rates, suppressed interest rates and easy money, it's created distortions in asset prices. And, you know, this is probably why the Fed stopped, uh, uh, jumped in to, to bail out the depositors to to keep uh, uh, a a massive run on the banks and, and an implosion uh, of of. Um, you know, the market. Uh, and I think it's just one end of it. You see interest rates go sky high. It's all over. The, there's not a lot the Fed can do. But we are on that razor's edge. And I, you know, I wish that the things that I talked about weren't so gloomy, but I think there's a fine line between reality and and pessimism right now. And I think it's closer to reality than most people would like to believe. For me, the uh, where you draw the line is in the uh, action that you decide to take. Uh, and so uh, personally, I think, yeah, it would be a, a doom and gloom outlook if you just decide that, you know, to throw up your hands and say, hey, there's nothing I can do. But that's not the reality. The reality is it's, it's like, OK, I'm going to you know prepare for the worst. I'm, I'm going to hope for the best, but I'm going to I'm going to plan for it just in case uh, this this turns out the way that it looks like it might turn out. Um, and, uh, like we've been talking about, one of the best ways to do that is, uh, purchasing gold. Now I want to address, I think one of the most, um, 
pervasive uh, uh, reasons that people use to not buy gold, which is what you talked about earlier, uh, central bank manipulation. It's so easy. You need so little money to short gold, paper gold, push the price down while with your other hand, you're loading up on physical. Um, to the extent that that is happening, it represents the best buying opportunity for gold since 1969. Yeah. Because that means the price is lower than it would be without that manipulation. And the manipulation must stop. It never can continue into, uh, it, it, you know, in perpetuity, which means that if it is happening to the extent that we think it is, that means that it's undervalued. Right 100%. Now. Look, JP Morgan paid a $920 million fine for suppression of, of, of metals. And I think everyone who owns gold and silver or has wondered about what you just said needs to do one thing. My good friend, Chris Marcus of Arcadia Economics, did an interview with the then CFTC chairman, um, um, Bart Chilton. And I think you should Google Bart Chilton, Chris Marcus, Arcadia Economics. Now, Bart Chilton admitted what I'm about to tell you on this uh, video, on a YouTube, on a podcast, just like this here. And, and he'd only said it to one person one time, and it was Chris Marcus. Now, coincidentally, he died six days later. But I will tell you that what he said in a nutshell was, that Bear Stearns went bankrupt because of their short bet on silver, largely because of it, not entirely, but that was a good portion of it. Silver went to 21 bucks. They went bankrupt. Jamie Dimon was called into uh, Hank Paulson and Ben Bernanke's office, and they said, Jamie, we need you to take over Bear Stearns' short position. And Jamie said, okay, guys, I'll do that, but I will be in violation of position limits. Well, Jamie, you have a certain amount of time, let's say 90 days, and just get yourself in order and, and you know, close out some of those shorts so you're not in violation of position limits. Okay, thanks, guys. Out the door he went, and he took over Bear Stern's short position in silver. Uh, at the end of the period, Bart Chilton, who was the head of the CFTC, went into his superiors and said, guys, not only have they not decreased their short position, they've increased it. They need to be prosecuted. They are in violation of our agreement. They are in violation of antitrust law. They're breaking the law. They're manipulating the market. We need to prosecute. They said, Bart, back down. It's a political decision. This is the head of the commodity police admitting this to Chris Marcus, and then he died six days later. I'm not saying there's a, that, that there's a connection. Maybe it's just a pure coincidence. It is the only time he ever admitted this. And anyone who questions manipulation of the metals market needs to listen to that. Well, why would they do it? There's a term in economics called Gibson's paradox, which speaks to the inverse relationship of real interest rates and the price of gold. So if your intent is to suppress interest rates, to create an illusion of prosperity in our home prices, our 401k, to force speculation, to incentivize debt accumulation, then you have to step on gold and silver. And that's exactly what the West has done for a very long time. They have done it to maintain an illusion of dollar strength and market strength. And, and this was, you know, the, the, the name of the game for a very, very, very long time. And so you're talking about concerted effort to suppress the price of gold because it's as if you pull back the curtain and see a little frail man in the Wizard of Oz, not the big booming voice, when you realize that if it were not for the four or five banks that have abnormally large shore positions in gold and silver, 
the price would be markedly higher. You look at silver, it is the, has the largest concentrated short position by four banks of any commodity traded on the commodity exchange. Why? Why do they go to such great lengths to suppress the price of gold and silver when they let every other asset price go to the moon? And it is because they are the monetary metals that show the fragility of the Western system. Well, for a long time, that was the game they played. Uh, and now our foes are using it against us. They are using our own leverage, our own suppression of the metals to drain the exchanges and ship them eastward. When I told you it leaves the ecosystem of COMEX, it loses all liquidity. They don't care. They want it shipped. There is a, a branch of Valcambi that just opened up, I don't know, 20 miles from my house here in Florida. Valcambi is a 70-year-old refinery. All they do is buy scrap. They don't sell anything. They buy scrap and send it to Switzerland. And Where's all that metal going once it's refined in Switzerland? Look at the numbers. It's all going to China, to Russia, to India, to Saudi Arabia. It's going eastward. And so all I can simply say is why this hasn't materialized, because this is a high stakes game. And I think they're trying to squeeze as much out of the system as they can. And when a new system emerges, one that will be pegged to commodities, and you talk about distributed ledger technology, the Chinese digital yuan has been uh, what most of the contracts have settled for or with on the new Belt Road Initiative. They started using it at the Beijing Olympics. It's been four years of beta testing north of 25 mil billion in successful transactions. What better way, if you are going to issue a competitive currency, a reserve currency, a digital currency, but to use distributed ledger technology to show what every one of these countries is pledging to the system. You know, I heard people say, well, the euro doesn't work. Why will this work, this, this union of countries like Saudi Arabia and Iran, who really don't like each other, but are trying to mend fences and are trying to create a, a union against the West. What will make it work, what didn't make the euro work is you had all of these different cultures pulling in different directions. What will make this work with the same environment, maybe even more severe, is the pledging of commodities. And each one of these countries will have equal say at the table by what they pledge to the system using <clears throat> distributed ledger technology like a la the digital yuan or the rails of it to show the immutability and the veracity of what each country is pledging to the system to make it work. And when you realize gold was reclassified by the BIS in, in 2019 and, and the world looks at it now as a riskless, high-quality liquid asset, basically tier one, um, it makes a whole lot more sense why all the central banks are gobbling it up because a new system will rise from the ashes of this fiat system. It will have to be pegged to something and trust has been compromised. What better way to roll out central bank digital currency than to show what is pledged to it? So I think these things are happening. And to your point, it's a good one, Joe. It is a good one. Why hasn't happened yet? Because this is a very high stakes game. You get one shot at it. And I think they're putting all of their, their pieces together uh, in, in unification of trade arrangements in a new currency that will be backed by something probably on the rails of the Chinese digital yuan. And, and I think it's happening. And, and it's, it's, it's frightening to think of what will happen. Look, I got three kids. My youngest is 15. I'm scared for the world she grows up in if we lose the reserve status. And I think there's a high probability we will. Who the hell would want to buy our bonds earning a, 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 you know, a negative yield right now? And, and the currency that has been signaled by the powers that be 
to be inflated away. And the decisions they made this weekend only underscores that. I completely agree. And um, for any individual that doesn't yet have any allocation, um, one of the other uh, objections that I uh, I hear a lot is about you know where to put it. And so there are a couple of solutions. But I, to to put it into perspective, you're a high net worth individual. You got ten million dollars, and you want to make a high allocation of gold of let's say a third of your net worth. You can fit three million dollars of gold in a shoebox. So you don't you don't need that much. Yeah, space, here's forty thousand uh, dollars right there. You know that that's exactly. pretty much forty grand. And how many of these could you put in a shoebox? Well, a lot. And so you're right. It it is easy to store, and I think you hold it yourself. Uh, I think counterparty risk is going to become a big deal over the next uh, mm-hmm. next few years, and the removal of counterparty risk is a good deal. So to hold it yourself until you get to a point where you no longer feel comfortable doing that, there are other options. But yeah, I think holding it yourself is the best way to do it. Well, in a world where uh, we've seen time and time again, trust gets broken, uh, whether it was breaking the gold standard and going back on our promise to deliver gold for dollars uh, in 1971, whether it is, uh, you know, the the promise of uh, your dollars being safe in the bank account and then the bank, uh, you know, loaning them out into assets that lose value and you go to get them and they're not actually there. Um, we're seeing that trust is becoming more and more of a, an, an issue today. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I, uh, I, I have so much respect for you and your company is because of the integrity, because of the trust. I'm going to be linking Miles Franklin in the description in the show notes. If you're on, listening on a podcast where uh, you don't have the show notes, um, it would uh, it's it's milesfranklin.com. Correct? Yeah, and our new website, which was supposed to be launched uh, for five months ago, will be launched in the next week or two. We are hopeful for that will allow people to purchase online. In the meantime, they can send us an email at info at milesfranklin.com. Request a current price sheet. Uh, we will not be undersold. Uh, you will find we are amongst the most competitive in North America. We've never had a customer complaint, and I will make damn sure the people listening to this podcast, Joe, uh, won't be the first ones. And, and for the sake of being able to, to track all of this and to make sure the people listening are, are treated with kid gloves, it would be great if they put uh, Joe Brown sent me and uh, in the subject line, ask any questions. We can return uh, an email or a phone call with the answers to those questions and an updated price list with no obligation. And uh, geez, I'm just really thankful to be here with you today, Joe. I'm a big fan. I watch everything you do and you have a great grasp on what is going on. And, and, um, you know, in a world where, you know, traditional media is leaving people completely blindsided by what's coming, in my mind, guys like you and the Economic Ninja and Chris Marcus and and all the the folks that I am uh, friendly with and, and, and watch every day, That is the real media. That is where we're getting real information on how to save, on how to get out of debt, on what is important, on geopolitical events. And um, I just am very appreciative for being here. And I'm just a phone call away anytime you need me back or a perspective on what's going on in the metals market. Certainly uh, happy to come back anytime. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back. And thank you again, Andy, for coming on the show. I know everybody's going to enjoy this. Lots of great insights. And uh, we'll talk to you again You stay well, buddy. Thank you. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.